Welcome to the NLP View with your host, Donna Blinston. Each week, Donna will explore how the techniques of NLP can help improve your personal and professional life. And now, here's your host, Donna Blinston. Hello and welcome to the NLP View. My name is Donna Blinston. On today's show, I am joined by Dr. Richard Gray, a psychologist, hypnotherapist, and a certified master practitioner of NLP. We are going to discuss how NLP can be used to support people suffering with post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. PTSD affects thousands of state and local police officers, firefighters, servicemen and women, as well as civilians of every description. PTSD is a psychiatric disorder that can occur following the experience of or witnessing of a life-threatening event. According to the Department of Veterans Affairs, an estimated 78% of Americans will experience PTSD at some point in their lives. The disorder is associated with an impairment of a person's ability to function in normal social or family life. Neurolinguistic programming, NLP, is a is a process by which language is used to reframe, reroute, and redesign our memories, our understanding and feelings about experiences. So I'd like to welcome to the show Dr. Richard Gray. Hello, Richard. Hi, Donna. How are you? I am brilliant, thank you. <laughs> really good. <laughs> How are you? Oh, no complaints, thank God. <laughs> well, thank you for joining me. I know that we've got many, many of our listeners that are very keen to hear you talk about this to hear about your experience and I guess just get general advice of where they could go and what kind of things can be used to support them. Before we start, I guess we should let our audience know a bit about you and your background. All right. Well, I'm I'm a uh, professor at Fairleigh Dickinson University in the Department of Criminal Justice and Legal Studies. Uh, that comes out of my 21-year tenure with the United States Probation Department in Brooklyn, New York, uh, where I, uh, for seven years, was the drug treatment coordinator, and I ran uh, a very successful NLP-based drug treatment program. Uh, my PhD is ultimately in Jungian studies, uh, and I've also studied criminology and sociology as well. Uh, wow. <laughs> my, uh, my, my work in using NLP, uh, includes, uh, a long time using every technique I could find, uh, with drug addicts until I found what worked there. And more recently, I've been working with the research and recognition product, uh, program, I'm sorry, uh, to find the underlying mechanisms of PTSD and the NLP uh, VKD dissociation, that's the visual kinesthetic dissociation technique that works wonderfully well uh, oh, with amazing. people with simple PTSD. Uh, realistically speaking, uh, it can cure PTSD in 45 minutes. However, we don't like to make that claim because no one believes us, so we tell people <laughs> in three sessions or less. Uh, yeah. It's striking. Yeah. It's the beauty of how it can completely transform that person so quickly. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, Steve Andreas uh, took Richard Bandler's original design for the Fast Phobia Cure, and he was the first one to apply it to PTSD. It's important to understand that 
Uh, classically, people divide PTSD into several varieties. The simple version is a version where people mostly have nightmares, intrusions, uh, and they become uh, hyper hyper vigilant. And that is the specific kind of PTSD for which this works brilliantly. If people have developed other kinds of problems on top of the PTSD, well, then they'll need treatment for those things, alcoholism, drug abuse, family problems. But for, for that specific part of the problem, this solves it permanently. And that's one of the striking things is that it goes away and it doesn't come back unless you go back into a situation <laughs> where, where you can't help but have it again. Uh, but the old memory is is completely uh, wiped away of its intrusive emotional components, and that's the striking thing. People come away with from this technique being able to talk about it. They can talk about what happened. You can push all the buttons that used to set it off, and it just doesn't come back. It's mm -hmm. absolutely striking. It is. I've worked with several people now doing the same thing. Very, well, mainly simple PTSD, as you explained. And then with people who've had more, who've had it, I guess, for longer, I think it tends to be when it's more complex. Because they've, they've had the PTSD, and I guess they've started to own it, and they've lived their life according to their suffering from PTSD. So it's changed a lot about them as a person and how they interact, and they they've got learned behaviors. That's right, and and, and Steve in, in his criteria plainly says that that uh, it's not an identity issue. Okay, when it becomes an identity issue, I am a PTSD person, or this is the way I am. Then you're dealing with another level of problem. But it's the phobic elements that we can cure uh, instantaneously. And if you look at the research for all the other techniques, they're all based on a mechanism called extinction. And in extinction, you set up a new memory that doesn't replace the old memory, but it blocks access to it. And those memories tend to be fragile. Uh, they dissipate. They're subject to spontaneous regeneration. Uh, they uh, can be evoked all kinds of ways. With, with this technique, what happens is that the memory itself, uh, the emotional memory in particular, is wiped clean. So that, so that those connections in the amygdala that normally would fire off, uh, and, and produce the panicked reactions, the phobic kind of response, stop happening. And, uh, it's absolutely striking. Uh, but the person can talk about it, they can describe it, they can, they can understand that it's a terrible thing. They can have a normal level of emotional response to the problem situations, but it no longer throws them into a panic or a flight. And that's where PTSD come, is, comes into its own, is where it separates itself from being the phobia. It's that um, over, the over, over, the words have completely gone from me, <laughs> the over, overreaction yeah. to it. Yeah, and, and, and it's one thing, go ahead, I'm sorry. Sorry, I was going to say, it's, it's one thing to, if you've experienced something traumatic, then yes, that is part of your history and you will have changed from that because it will change your values, your outlook on life what's you know what's more important to you how you look at things and maybe it might make, make decisions about where you want to go in the future because of it making you reassess where it is it's when it's having the negative impact on your future that that's when it becomes a problem 
That's right. And, 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 you know, we know from neuroscience that there are interconnections between the frontal cortex and the amygdala. And when the amygdala, which is the seat of all kinds of emotions, but we associate it more often with fear and anger than anything else, what we find is that when that comes powerfully online, when someone begins to experience fear and terror and panic, uh, their frontal lobes shut off. They become incapable of thinking. And so you have people living under these horrible regimens of of fear and anxiety who maybe can't ride a subway. They can't be in an enclosed space. They can't sit without their back against the wall. One of the striking uh, cases that uh, came up from uh, Dr. McDonald uh, down in um, – Oh, uh, West Virginia at Marshall yeah. University was, was uh-huh. a young man. He was, he was a uh, Vietnam vet. Uh, I, no, I'm sorry. He was uh, an Iraqi vet and, and he had to lock and relock the doors every night. He couldn't sit in a restaurant. He couldn't stand to let someone else drive him. And they had three or four sessions. Uh, basic did did the uh, VKD. They had him uh, briefly access the memory, had him imagine he was sitting in a theater, had him float out of his body and imagine watching himself down in the theater, watching a movie uh, from within the projection booth. The movie started with a safe time before the incident and was to end with a safe time afterwards. And they ran it very quickly, and this is the process, they run the movie very quickly in black and white several times until there's no no anxiety. Then Mm -hmm. the person floats out of the movie theater into their body as they watch the movie. They step up onto the stage, into the movie, and then run it backwards in full color with all the sound going quickly by, zip, in about two or three seconds. They do that a few times, and it wipes it clean away. Well, this guy, uh, this, this, this gentleman, went from being unable to sit in a crowded McDonald's restaurant uh, to being able to go there, comfortably eat a meal with his back against uh, just against uh, the entry. He didn't have to watch the entryway. His wife said he stopped locking and unlocking the doors. Over and over again, we hear these kinds of stories. Another man who was, um, wasn't in battle when he suffered uh, the trauma, but, but he, uh, there, there was a fire on board the ship where he was stationed. And some years afterwards, suddenly it struck him, the horror of people burning and, and just uh, PTSD came upon him. And he found mm-hmm. himself likewise, unable to ride the subway. The man lived in New York, and in order to work, he rode his bicycle something like 30 miles a day because he couldn't stand the subways. He had all kinds of uh, problems associating with people and having relationships. And again, in about four sessions, that was wiped away similar experience to what I've had. I had um, a lady come to me who'd, she was, she'd witnessed um, a car crash as she stepped out, so she stepped outside a house and two cars collided, bang, straight into each other in front. The cars had whipped around, a body had come out the front window screen in an awful mess. Another car, the door had opened and the, the body had come out of the car sideways and, well, not all of it, mm-hmm. and horrendous crash and she couldn't leave a house. She couldn't, and every time she saw a car, every time she tried to walk out the house, everything was this, this vision. And she was convinced that if she went left the house, that she would 
you know, that would happen again. Yeah. And it was replaying. And just for her to describe it in front of me, she was pale, she was clammy, she looked peri-arrest yeah. from a, a medical point of view. Horrendous symptoms she was having to the point where she couldn't, she could barely talk or breathe. And within, I think, we, I think we did about five sessions, but a lot of it was to get calm and safe anchors so that for me to work with her, yeah. she had that place of safety so that she was safe and we could control that environment. Plus, for me, I also got a psychologist involved as well so that because of her extreme medical side, I'm a nurse, so I had the medical bit kind of covered, but from the other extremeness of the, of the symptoms, I wanted to know that there was somebody that would be able to help her if necessary, but it ended up that I led everything, and the psychologist just watched in awe, really. <laughs> and um, we, in five sessions, well, it was one session of actually doing the um, BK dissociation, um, and that was it. It was done, and she was out. She was shopping, and, you know, the second the second day after doing it, she came round. She travelled, well, she lives about 48 miles from me, and she travelled 48 miles with, a, miles with a bunch of flowers and a bottle of wine ah. and knocked on my door. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just the most emotionless wreck you've ever met. Oh, that's <laughs> it wonderful. It was amazing. It was. Wonderful. It was. And, and people don't expect that. You know, people come to NLPers for this kind of treatment, and they've typically been to all kinds of psychologists and psychiatrists. They've been medicated. They've tried exposure treatments. And, you know, for those of you who don't know about exposure treatments, what they do is they do their best to re-evoke the problem. They have them watch movies if they've been in battle scenes. They have them watch movies of battle or listen to scripts of their own traumatization uh, and so on and so forth. And they are so used to the same old thing that they never expect the kind of drastic immediate results that we get, particularly with this intervention. It is. It, it's it's wonderful, and you know it might not work for everybody, and some people might get relieved from those techniques. Mm -hmm. But certainly, from the work you're doing and what I'm doing, there's more and more research being done out there, which I'll talk to you in more detail in a second. Yes. <laughs> that it's showing that that is it's it's working, and it's it's providing a cure. It's a cure. Yes. And, and that's the difference. It's a cure. Yeah. It's not a band aid. Yes. Yes. That is very true. Just touched about the research that you're doing, um, and well, that's being done. And I know you're doing a lot of work with a lady called Lisa Wake. Yes. Can you share some of the things that are starting to get going um, with PTSD around the research that's starting and things that are being looked at? Oh for my our goodness. Uh, well, in, first of all, <laughs> there's there, there's some neurophysiology. Uh, when we decided, when the NLP R and R team. Uh, decided uh, to, to begin our work, uh, we needed to find a, uh, an NLP technique that had a very clear neurological mechanism. Uh, we had to be able to describe it so we could generate clear hypotheses that were testable. And we settled upon uh, the uh, PTSD cure simply because uh, there was a lot of literature that talked about extinction and it looked to me as if there was a clear mechanism. But as we began to look at that research, one of the things that we began to see was, was that there was a whole body of research. Now it's 20 years old uh, and growing as a, a center of uh, memory research about something called reconsolidation. 
And very briefly, what that means is that uh, when we form a memory and it becomes permanent, we used to think that it was really permanent. It stayed the same. Uh, but recent research over the 20 years and more especially in the last uh, five or ten has shown that, that when you awaken a memory under certain circumstances, it labelizes, it becomes subject to change. And you can, when it labelizes, you can slip in some new content and change that memory forever. Absolutely striking. Well, I saw that mechanism. I said, my gosh, that's what we do. That yeah. describes the mechanism of the uh, uh, PTSD cure. We rebranded it uh, RTM, the, re, the uh, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, Reconsolidation of Traumatic Memories for Research Purposes. And that paper, a paper written, written by Rich Liotta and I, uh, was published in um, Traumatology, the journal, last year. And it's opened doors ah. for us. We have uh, possibilities of research in several uh, universities, several universities in the U.S., uh, have submitted grant applications to the federal government, and uh, we have our hopes up that uh, there will be several million dollars available for um, randomized controlled studies of this technique. And because it cures it, what we expect is that people who take this this treatment rather than a standard treatment uh, will continue to get better over time as opposed to people who take the standard treatments who often worsen over time. So that's one of the striking things. We have people who have offered us the use of uh, magnetic imaging machines, uh, MRI, magnetic resonance machines, and magnetoencephalography machines so that we can trace the actual physiological markers that show definitely that these people have been cured. Those That research is happening in various places in the United States. We're still in the preliminary phases there, but there's solid research that shows somebody with PTSD uh, has some anomalies in their brain scans. Their right amygdala, and as I said before, the amygdala is the center of our fear responses. When people who have PTSD are resting, their right amygdala tends to stay online. When you scan them, that is always on. It's always surveilling the world for fear. Well, after treatment, after successful treatment, that turns off or it turns down significantly, and that's the biomarker. And so uh, we'll be having studies, randomized controlled studies, uh, compared against uh, standard cognitive exposure treatments, behavioral treatments, and weight, weight group controls, uh, where we'll be able to show changes in people's brains as a result of our treatment. And that's, that's the validation of the fact that we've actually changed the structure of the memory, the structure of the brain. Uh, a lot of exciting things. Frank Burke is the head for, uh, in the U.S., and Lisa Wake has been uh, spearheading it in the U.K. Uh, both of them have she been instrumental. Some amazing work. Oh, yeah. Uh, instrumental in, in getting universities and uh, organizations behind this research because it is so dramatic. Uh, over the past several years, uh, we in, in the um, R&R project have <laughs> nearly gotten 
$20 million in grants, uh, but very often because of the bad publicity that NLP has sometimes suffered, here in the U.S. especially, uh, we missed out on that money. But once uh, we get a couple of grants moving, this research will take off, and it will be a benefit to soldiers and sailors and airmen and police officers and crime victims, uh, wherever you turn and people are suffering from PTSD, uh, this is something that can just reach in and switch off that hypersensitivity and the intrusive symptoms. And it is absolutely striking. Um, earlier, you said something. You were describing one of your patients and, and how you could see the physiology come up Oh. And and that's a crucial part of the syntax of this uh, phenomenon. Um, one of the important things that NLP does is it identifies a syntax, a standard strategy whereby people produce and reproduce behaviors. And for reconsolidation, for the mechanism that heals PTSD, one of the first things that you have to have is a brief evocation of the problem state. And so when you described it, that's the first thing that has to be done. You evoke it briefly. You calm the person. You use an anchor, whatever you can, to calm them, make them feel good, distract them. And then you begin to build this scenario of being in the theater, uh, in a safe place, watching yourself, sitting down in the theater, watching the movie. And it's that separation that sets off in part uh, the ability of the brain to restructure the memory completely. Uh, and that's just brilliant. Just brilliant. It, it is. And I've also done it with when someone who's scared of heights. Um, so because of their scared of heights, um, we couldn't do... Oh, it was as much um, part of the thing that had set it all off was that they'd fallen from a ladder, or somebody, not them personally, the thing that they'd witnessed was somebody falling from a ladder. So we didn't do the heights because of that. Um, so we used the same technique. It was just um, rather than it was looking through your lounge, looking at yourself sat in the chair watching the telly. Yes. Oh, great, great. So we did exactly the same thing, had the same amazing fast amazing results and um it was it was just a different setup we were on the ground floor but we still had that double dissociation yes. where the person was looking through um a window where he was completely safe and of course we 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 need to remember that that the richard bandler first designed the technique specifically for dealing with phobias and uh, and so it it has always worked wonderfully well with phobias, and will continue to do so. The striking thing, and you alluded to this earlier in the conversation, is that the difference between a phobia and PTSD is a phobia is is related to a single uh, class of stimulus. I might be afraid of spiders, but ants don't bother me. I might be afraid of heights. But if I'm safe in a room inside a tall building, it may not bother me whatsoever. And so it isn't something, it isn't so all pervasive as PTSD. Uh, but, but PTSD, uh, there's no telling where or how, uh, the symptoms are going to come about. They intrude incredibly, uh, without warning often. And for some reason, I'm not sure I know why, uh, this technique 
wipes out those connections so that even the secondary associations that would normally have aroused the fear, the terror, the hypervigilance, uh, and the intrusive symptoms, people flipping out, um, completely dissolves, completely dissolves. Completely dissolves. And it has, it's not just the benefit that it has for that individual person, which in itself is profound, but also the benefit for the family. I've worked with the families who've lived with someone who suffers from PTSD. So seeing that person disappear in a way behind the symptoms that they're suffering is hard for the family to, the, to experience. I've, I've worked both with the person in, as an individual, but then with um, the husband or wife and the children to, to cope with what they, what they have gone through as they've experienced it with the person. And for them to get used to, especially with the um, with the husband um, in in one situation, because they'll have lived the months and months of the broken sleep in the night, the scaredness, the um, the feeling that that being with somebody who's very dissociated from the, them, and often the partner can feel like they're not so much no longer loved, but the because it can affect their libido and um, any sexual desires, any wanting to be in that kind of relationship with anybody, it does have a strain on their relationship. So it's it's working with that and rebuilding that as well. That's right. Fear fear is not good for sexual relationships. And and you know over and over again, uh, you hear uh, wives and other family members. One striking case again. This is the one from William McDowell, uh, where 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 the wife says, "I've got my husband back." Okay. Yes. Instead of yes. instead of this person who is always on edge, never there yes. really for the other person, except uh, perhaps in in just uh, the most basic kinds of ways physically. Uh, yes. Suddenly, it's a real person who isn't yes. so drawn into their own fears and terrors, uh, yes. but 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 can be there as a real partner, as a real mate, as a real friend. And again, yes. people return into the workforce uh, yes. and no longer troubled by flashbacks and terrors, a car backfires and somebody feels necessary to hit the ground and, and they're a ball of nerves for the rest of the day. Um, yeah. That goes away and it goes away completely. Completely. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's striking. Uh, oh. There's some research uh, and, and that, that suggests that some of the physiological indicia may remain, but they aren't associated with fear. So someone's pulse might rise uh, in those circumstances, someone's galvanic skin response might uh, show an elevation under those circumstances, but they become dissociated from the fear response itself. And so the people are freed to respond normally to all kinds of situations that would have otherwise uh, beaten them down. And now yeah. a lot of a lot of people suffering from PTSD end up drinking and having problems uh with mm -hmm. family and drugs and criminality and the rest. Uh now if we make a distinction between people who have associated with their PTSD, accepted it as part of their identity, and people who haven't, sometimes drinking, drugging and the other things may be so significantly tied to the PTSD itself, that it will dis that those will problems will dissipate as well. 
However, we can't always be sure about that, and so sometimes they need to be treated as well. And so we prefer for the testing phase anyway uh, to take a look at the simple PTSD without the exacerbating factors. Uh, however, when people are applying this, uh, you can take things one layer at a time, get rid of the fear mm -hmm. that has been driven it, and if those behaviors have not yet become self-maintaining, uh, then, then they can very well be healed as well. I can't wait until this research is is on its way, being doing. We have the findings and we have it out there. And it, we're, we're out of time again, Richard. <laughs> it's flown by. Well, that, you make that very easy. Oh, oh thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and do you. you oh, oh. Can you tell our audience how they can contact with you, how they can get in contact with you and your website details? Sure. Uh, the easy. Let me first tell them about the NLP R and R. Uh, go to NLP R and R dot O R G, and that will get you to our research and uh, the background. My personal website, where I've uh, got articles on PTSD, drug addiction, uh, trances, uh, all for free. <laughs> I'd rather give it away. Uh, go to tinyurl dot com front slash Rick Gray, R-I-C-K-G-R-A-Y. That's the easiest way. Otherwise, it's HTTP colon slash slash richardmgray.home.comcast.net. Use tinyurl. Oh, yes. <laughs> Thank you, Richard. It's been a true honor Thank to you, be Donna. with you, it's a blessing. you today. <laughs> And thank you to all of our audience for tuning in today. 